The Law Report with Michael Matweening Bell, Kaya FM 95.9. Hello, 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 and welcome to The Law Report. My name is Michael Matweening Bell. What can you look forward to tonight on The Law Report? You can look forward to a comprehensive discussion about what constitutes a state of emergency. You know that for more than one reason, um, there probably is good grounds to have a state of emergency. We know what is happening to foreign nationals. We know what happens to our women and children in the country. All of this acts of hate against these groups of, of people. And that's what we're talking about tonight in the Law Report. As always, we're looking forward to your calls. You can give us a ring. Number to dial 86 All right. Uh, Thank you so much uh, to Khomuto Matsunyani. She is standing, was standing in for uh, Cindy Fansel, and Cindy Fansel is back again with you tomorrow. Um, I want to introduce a man that I haven't seen in a long time, and surely whose voice you haven't heard for a long time, specifically on this show. I know he's been potentially cheating with other shows. Ngobizi <laughs> Tamlila, <laughs> welcome, and good to see you, my brother. Thank you very much. It's, uh, it's very good to be back on the show. It's very good to be talking to you. Always smartly dressed, Mr. Michael Montaning Bell. All right, moving right along. So, you can give us a ring, dialing 086-00-00-959. Um, and, 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 you know, you know I, I, I listen to Skomba, as I'm sure you do as well, and, and, and sometimes you say, hey, my value le country. Yeah, you know, and and I wonder if the time hasn't come for that. I mean, I mean, we are sitting in a situation where uh, I had a case in in town um, in the CBD uh, on Thursday, and the first thing I said uh, is that I'd like to, I don't want to proceed. I'd like the proceedings to be adjourned because I had a choice not to be in the CBD, and I and I wanted to exercise that choice because you know I didn't want to be where where my I didn't I didn't know what would happen, and. And that's a feeling that other people experience but don't have the luxury of choice. Yeah. They can't say, I'd like to exit because it's their homes, it's the place of employment. And when we look at this thing, and I think one thing that gets to me is whether you like it or not, it doesn't only affect the people against whom it's directed. It affects people who observe it. I mean, when you're seeing somebody being attacked, when you're seeing somebody's property being attacked, it affects you. And children are seeing these things. And we are, one, inducing a serious state of shock in them, but also teaching them how things are done, that hate is okay. And, and, and you know, uh, fortunately you happen to be the, the same age as I, but I remember growing up um, and um, there was uh, 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 people saying, Ngatayat, right? And I remember seriously those images of people with red uh, cloth wrapped around their heads, uh, uh, and and outside people were in white cloths, and this was a full out battle, and it stuck with me, even though it happened around the eighties, right? And and whether you like it or not, there's some kid that's growing up and is seeing this thing and doesn't have a choice, and and there are casualties to this. So, but but even then, moving along from the indirect harm that happened, the direct harm. Um, we having a situation where foreign nationals in South Africa are being attacked, and and it's to me a crisis, and one wonders what the law says in a crisis such a such as this. Um, and I know that you know other countries we haven't quite had it in the last twenty five years a thing called a state of emergency. But one wonders if whether the time has come. 
But, you know, as if that was enough, as if it was enough to have a situation where there is calculated hate against a group of people, it's not just foreign nationals, it's our women, it's our children. And, and this one is, is, is more pronounced now, but it's certainly more consistent. It happens every day of the year, more pronounced now for whatever reason, because maybe as a country we are cyclical in our outrage. Sometimes we are more outraged than other times. What can we do from a legal point of view? What is available? Surely there is a clear, in my view, loss of or a state of lawlessness. And one wonders whether is our current modus operandi sufficient to, to deal with this lawlessness? Well, Mike, uh, you, you, you have said a mouthful and uh, you, you have said uh, things that require um, serious reflection. Uh, so you raised two, two, if not three, interrelated things. The first thing is in one that relates to violence against women and children. And the other is that relates to violence against um, foreign nationals. Uh, and the other is the mechanisms that you want us to explore as to what legal options are available in order to protect both. Yeah. So I think the first point of departure is that there is a commonality between women and children and foreign nationals. Yeah. Which commonality is their vulnerability. Yeah. Uh, which is what lends them as targets of violence, uh, both f- either from the state <coughs> or f- from, from private citizens, from, from private sources. So there's a commonality there mm. of, of, their, of their vulnerability. Yes. And I think various constitutional court judgments have confirmed that a, a position of vulnerability demands of the state and instruments of the state to provide protection to those people who are classified viol- uh, 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 vulnerable women mm. and I- including foreign nationals. Now as to the question as to what mechanisms can be available to protect um, women and foreign nationals, the cr- ordinary criminal justice process is available because that kind of violence is already provided for in law as either uh, harm to property or harm to, to, to individuals assault with intent to do grievous bodily harm or uh, attempted murder or in some instances murder. So that kind of violence would be accommodated in one or other of common law offenses in, 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 in criminal law. And where you started from around the issue of, uh, of, 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 of a state of emergency, mm. I am not persuaded that however agree- objectionable the violence that is there is happening, it is possible for a state under these current conditions and the, and, and the legal environment, the, the legal architecture mm. that provides for the declaration of a state of emergency, that a state of emergency can be declared under this circumstance. Because, section 30 because says, let's, you know, so, so, so perhaps then the, uh, uh, the starting point is to, f- is, is to understand what is a state of emergency. Um, because then that becomes important to, to, to our discourse and, and, and certainly benefits the Afropolitan listening to this. Yeah. So, so basically, in, 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 in simplistic terms, a state of emergency is a situation where the state as a central organ is unable to control the behavior of its citizens or the behavior of people within its geographical control and, 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 and requires the suspension of certain uh, instruments of law, which instruments of law the state uses to control, to control citizens. In other, in other words, the state 
the state has reached a position where uh, using the ordinary and the available means of law, mm. it is unable to properly restore law and order yes. and, and some degree of, uh, of control of, uh, of the city, of people within its geographical control. And are we not there? I mean, I, mean, I, I certainly, speaking now for myself, I'm not persuaded that we haven't reached a state where one can, as a matter of fact, say that the state is failing to control the current situation. I, you see, Section 37 of the, of, of, of the Constitution says that a state of emergency can only be declared in terms of an act of parliament. Mm. But, and ordinarily, we resort to the interpretation of an act of parliament as subsidiary legislation and not necessarily the constitution itself. But what is unique about the declaration of a state of emergency is that section 37 of the constitution in fact implies that you must start by looking at the constitution before you look at the before you look at the legislation that deals with with the state of emergency because it says that you can only declare state of emergency only mm. And the specific wording in the, in the constitution is, is only yeah. when the following circumstances exist. The life of the nation is threatened by war. Yes. Or it is threatened. Okay, so that's clearly excluded. There's yes, that's clearly excluded. Okay. Or by an invasion that is also not available. A general insurrection, a disorder, natural disaster, or other public emergence. Now, I, I, I can see that you would want to locate that in disorder or other public emergence. Yes. But if you... If Even you, an insurrection? Yes. Would, would it, yeah? Yeah. So, so and, and that declaration must be necessary in order to restore peace and order. Now, it might be true that there is disorder, there is some insurrection, insurrection that is happening. But is it true that the restoration of peace and order can only be done by the declaration of a state of emergency. In other words, mm. is it evident mm. that the ordinary course of law using the police, including... But the is, that even a, is that even a requirement? I mean, <clears throat> surely um, one can say that, yeah, eventually the normal course will resolve this issue, eventually. Um, but I, I, I'm wondering whether, you know, we obviously have laws that govern pretty much everything, so they are there. Now the question would be, for me to invoke a state of emergency, if I can show, um, uh, for example, uh, and there was a more obvious one of, of the, the requirement, of the disorder. Mm. I, mean, I mean, turning to the issue of violence against foreign nationals, that's clear disorder. And the disorder is likely to even, I mean, um, when, when a foreign national has property, let me put it to you this way. If I have property and you came to my shop, and I have my stock and that's all my investment in there. I'm going to try to protect it, right? And therefore, anarchy. So the, the, the one is, is attempting to loot. The other one is attempting to defend their property, which they are entitled to protect, by the way, subject to bar certain legal boundaries. Then you see that you are now in the middle of, of a, an untenable situation, as it were. If you just take this week, it's this thing has been moving almost like a virus. The it started off in some some episodes in Pretoria, uh, spread to Johannesburg, spread to the N3 up on the road against the truck drivers. I woke up this morning. There's something now in Katlehong. 
and it's it's widespread, yep. right? So it's growing. So I'm not sure if if then you can say, well, and and I'm and I'm I'm not saying this because I'm proposing the answer. I'm saying this because I'm genuinely in, in engaging and looking forward to your insight. I'm not sure if you can say because there are other avenues to deal with lawlessness. Therefore, we needn't or can't by law invoke a state of emergency. I don't know. That, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, that's a, that's exactly what I'm saying. That the the general violence that is happening is objectionable, and any sensible, right-thinking human being should condemn that violence that is happening. But to leap to say we must have a declaration of, of a state of emergency yeah. is where I'm saying that the conditions don't justify such because that's a, it's a, it's a, remember a declaration of a state of emergency suspends a number of rights right and let's talk about that yeah. so now so now we've gone through just just the recap if you've just joined us we're having a discussion uh, and I'm joining the studio by Ngobizi Tamlilo we're having a discussion about um, the possibility of having a state of emergency declared and whether at all it is an option whether whether it's one that get exercised or not that that I guess is the prerogative of the president and and parliament but but whether it's something you know for our, for our engagement, whether it's something that is available, and 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 what informs this topic is is two issues, both of which are inspired by hate perpetrated, as Amlilo says, against the vulnerable groups of uh, of, of of our people, and and this is inclusive of foreign nationals. Um, so the the question then is, what are the legal remedies that are available? Are are the laws uh, that we currently have enough, and and c- could potentially a state of emergency be declared? And if so, what would be the the requirement? So that's what we're talking about tonight in the law report. So if you want to participate in our discussion, do give us a call. I absolutely look forward to engaging with you on this one and getting some of your insights. Whether whether your insights are consistent with mine or at odds, I certainly do. Uh, wanna wanna get your insights um, and the number to dial is oh eight six double zero double zero nine five nine. So, so 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 Milo, you you were still going before I interrupted. Yeah, you. and and I'm saying that a declaration of a state of emergency mm. is not something that should be done lightly. Indeed, because the consequences of it is a suspension of a number of rights, including rights that are contained in the Bill of Rights. Indeed. So, the declaration of a state of emergency should only be done for the purposes of restoring law and order. Mm. In other words, the suggestion would be the available instruments of law, both from a law enforcement perspective, the police, metropolis, including the South African Defense Forces, under the conditions other than a state of emergency, are unable to restore peace and order. Okay. So what we see now, there is no evidence that the police are unable to restore law and order. Are you suggesting that there is evidence that they there is evidence? Well, they, so so what I'm what I'm what I'm I saying. I mean, the last time I checked, we had about one hundred and eighty thousand police officers in the country. Yeah, and and we were supposed to have an intelligence unit that is supposed to detect these things before they arise. I'm not sure how that yeah, so, goes. So, so so there must be a distinction between yeah. a clear evidence of a police force that is willing an intelligence that is willing and a metropolis that is willing to confront the problem and, and unable to restore law and order. And as opposed to general problems around how to administer the... the, the so so I, I'm drawing a distinction right. between the inability of the state properly 
concerning itself with the idea of restoring law and order and says at our maximum capacity and at our maximum efficiency we are unable to restore law and order as opposed to us having qualms and debates about whether or not the method that the police is using right yeah so so those and, two and, and i wonder what what with the threshold so one of the things that obviously um if if one is seized with the decision making power of whether to declare a state of emergency or not one would have to obviously consider the economy uh, as well because surely um one would have to think well how is this going to affect the economy and um we've we've we've, we've invited an economist um uh, from uh Witwatersrand University uh Lumkile Monde to just maybe for for 5 minutes just share with us um if any whether there are any economic implications to this uh Lumkile good evening and thank you so much for for joining us on the law report uh, good evening uh, to you and to listeners thanks for having me I mean, we, we, to my recollection, abs- uh, in fact, it's not even a matter of my recollection, we've certainly never had a state of emergency in the last 25 years um, in, in, in this country. But one wonders whether having one, would there be economic implications? Because, you know, certainly somebody sees with, with, this, with this question um, would, would not only have to consider the, the urgent need of resolving the issue, but would have to think about what the impact on the economy is, whether there's any panic that gets sent out to the market to to foreign partners, or you know, or you know, one one just thinks out loud. And and, and your thoughts on this? And so uh, I'm, I'm very privileged, given my age, that um, I lived under the most difficult conditions uh, in the 1980s um, after the emergency um, by the apartheid regime, uh, yeah. following the resistance uh, by the black majority of the policies um, that uh, 1994 led toward democracy. And no one wants to go through that process because basically it restricts the freedom of movement um, of all of us. It limits the hours of production, uh, given the fact that labor uh, in South Africa, given our history of social apartheid, uh, that a lot of our workforce lives far away. Mm. So under an emergency where rights uh, of citizens um, are curtailed, Productivity is likely to go down, as we saw in the 1980s, mm. where the South African economy, uh, having imposed issue of emergency by the PW border regime, economy continued to slide um, uh, because what it does, it means that the rule of law has collapsed. It means that the state has no confidence in the ability of it uh, to have control um, of society. Uh, therefore, even business itself lose confidence that, you know, are our assets uh, protected uh, given uh, the fact that the state is acting that way? Mm. So really, it's an environment that constrains growth. Uh, in, in, um, not only does it concern growth, but also it sends a very strong message uh, to many investors there that South Africa is not a good place to do business because the state has had to uh, get into these desperate measures, um, which undermine uh, the constituent force, but also uh, our our um, our rights, which are protected in the Bill of Rights. But, but are we are we not are, are we not at risk of that in any event? I mean, I can just think as a. As an international observer, looking in into what's happening, I mean, I'm looking at our our um, uh, the news channel right now. It's it's young girls 
who are essentially doing whatever is in within their power to 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 ventilate and 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 and, and be heard you know add their voice to what is happening and and the signs are stop rape and this is so widespread uh this is so uh, uh published it's so uh, uh, global in terms of what people are seeing and it's not and it's th- these two issues so one wonders whether are we not already in that situation or, or well, you know mm. yeah well if you I mean if you look at what I described earlier yeah. and what is happening now it's very very different right what we what we have now uh, maybe the lawyer might uh, uh, articulate this better than I, I can we have really uh institutions that cannot effect their mandate. Mm. Um, so in that regard, South African citizens, um, as well as, uh, in fact, South Africans and those living in South Africa, South Africa, have lost complete confidence in the ability of institutions to effect and protect their rights. Mm. So not only uh, are we seeing uh, these institutions being uh, mistrusted by the population, but in certain cases, people are very brave enough to attack the very institution that are supposed to uh, to bring law and order. Yeah. So really, when you've got collapse of institution, a state of emergency might not even be an effective instrument because you don't have capacity to effect any rule anyway. And and I think that's a sad part. I mean, these events for me show that they show how the state has been hollowed out and how weak the state is mm. as an institution uh, across many of these institutions, education, health, public safety, etc. That, you know, when you do that, uh, uh, you'll be very embarrassed if you come up with a state of emergency because simply you can't effect it. Um, a state that do that is because uh, they can effect this emergency and ensure that any, any law and order that is broken down is brought back. Ours, I don't think, is capable of doing it uh, given the levels of, of incapability and the depth of mistrust between the citizen and the law enforcement agency. Mm. So I think we've gone too far down the route of a failing regime. And therefore, I just think we need something bigger than instruments. We need to bring back a very system, rebuild the state, strengthen the state, and build confidence across all areas of society. Um, that's uh, the voice of Lumki Lemonde. He's an economist. Uh, sir, thank you so much for, for joining us and, uh, and adding some of your insights. We really are indebted to you. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, uh, we continue our conversation talking about the merits or demerits or even the possibility of having a state of the nation. And also in the second part, we're also going to be having a chat about immigration law because, you know, we kind of look at a situation where people are saying, well, there's too many foreigners, but some of those foreigners have used our laws that we've enacted through the parliaments that we've elected to get some of these foreigners in. So that's what we talk about in part two. We're back after this. Know your rights. Know the law. The Law Report with Michael Matsuening Bill. Welcome back. I'm joined um, in the studio by Ngobizi Tamlilo, but on the line as well, uh, Ashraf Esop. He's an attorney practicing at uh, Rousseau's Attorneys, and he's an expert in immigration law. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Ashraf. Hi, good evening and good evening to your listeners and thank you for the opportunity. Yes, thank you so much for sparing the time with us. So, you know, I'm going to be, I'm very curious to, for us to kind of have a, a more thorough discussion about immigration law and how people come into the country in the first place. Because sometimes I think there might be a little bit of a disconnect 
um, between the violence that's been perpetrated and people that are legally in the country um, and in much the same way that I could be legal in somebody else's country. So I want to touch on that. But before I do, Ashraf, allow me to talk to uh, Zachariah, who's calling from Johannesburg. Zachariah, thank you so much for calling the Law Report and good evening. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm good, thank you, sir. How are you? Uh, uh, I'm fine. Uh, I want to talk about, uh, uh, you see, the laws of migration. Mm -hmm. Uh, What I'm saying is, some other times, you see, some other people are not in the country because of they want to be illegal. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. The reason being, sometimes the laws or the law, it's tough for them to get. Let me let me say, like, let me speak on behalf of Zimbabweans. You can want to. Sometimes you want to live legal, but now you go to Zimbabwe. Now there there is no there are no passport papers. Mm. They say they are printing about eight hundred eight hundred passports a day. Maybe it's seven hundred and fifty. So how can you live illegal? You know. Mm. Let, let me say even the state of Zimbabwe now. So you're saying that you're saying that it's very difficult to comply with the laws, and even if you mean well because of the complications in your country of origin as well as the complications in South Africa, you invariably just find yourself not in South reason Africa being, legally. Yes, reason being, you know, sometimes it's people, they run away, reason being is desperation. Yeah. You know, a, a desperate person can do whatever it is. Yeah. No matter when it's dead, you rather say, i rather die, rather than uh, facing the police brutality in Zim. You, you know what I'm trying to say. I know rather it. Than, yeah. you, you rather you rather say some other people, as I'm saying. You know, there is this crisis. They say I rather I rather get killed in in, in South Africa rather than going there. You know, sometimes maybe you sleep with a hungry bear. You, you sleep with a hungry stomach. Mm. So sometimes you, you you rather be full but not sleeping in a bed. Mm. You mm. know, desperation can do can make you do whatever it is. It's mm. desperation. No matter, you see, as, as, as immigrants that are going overseas through through the sea, uh, it's like it's, it's, they gave up their life. Whatever it happens, it's fine. Mm. I'll face it there. Whatever. You see, like for Zimbabwe, nobody uh, wants to live in a country whereby he's not free. We, we know we are afraid to face sometimes deportation, you know. Mm. But it's not because of we want. But you, you think of, okay, let me go. Let me go get a passport. There are no passport papers again. In Zimbabwe? In Zimbabwe. Everybody mm. knows that there are no uh, passport papers to make passports, you know? Mm. So how can you live legally? And, and you know, like, no you know what you're saying, what you're saying yeah. is, is, is both true but also heartbreaking. Um, because even I, as a South African, would like to yeah. be able to go to some other person's country one day if if yeah. for whatever reason I find myself in a situation where I'm starving or my children are starving. Yeah. And and I think sometimes it it's it's important for us to stop, you know, to really look at each other as people. To say yeah. and, 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 and and sometimes you, you don't understand how these things happen in South Africa because I can tell you this for a fact. I can tell you yeah. for a fact that as a as a as a black South African, we were all raised to take care of other people. So, in other words, you wouldn't know 
that somebody's hungry and 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 you eat and, yeah, and that, you you know it's something that is part of who we are as South Africans. But I have every belief that it's part of who we are as Africans. I I, I that, don't that, think mm. that's the truth. And you know this. Uh, let me say uh, the fights with the xenophobia attack. Sometimes we can call it xenophobic, but sometimes it's it's because of the criminals are taking advantage of the situation. You know what I'm saying? Mm. It's, it's, it's not about... You see, sometimes, even what we post on Facebook, mm. it, it, it can fuel. So, you, you know, sometimes we, the government must be able to, to, to control what we post on social media. As, 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 as what happened, in, I think it's in Katlehong, where an officer was saying, no, uh, Somalians are doing one, two, so... And, and where to see... I was in Tembisa by that time. Everyone was, I'm going to get my child at school. You understand? Mm. So you, so to some other people, they believe that this thing is happening. You understand? Mm. You are fueling, you are putting, uh, some other people, they get it, they take it personal. You know yeah, what I mean? And, and, and look, I mean, I mean the, the issues, I mean, you, you're quite right when you point them to criminality. Um, yeah. Because, I mean, even when you look at what's happening now, the yeah. the looting doesn't only happen in foreign owned shops. At some point it just extends to everybody. There's a there's a liquor shop that's that that, that was looted in Gatlehong. Um it's si- desperation sometimes. It's yeah. desperation what we spo- we post on social media and sometimes people is people we think different, we don't we don't think the same. You see, let me give you an example where whereby President Robert Mugabe was saying, Yeah, whites must go. Why is my Zoki rather keep your England, then mm. I will keep my Zim. People mm. are clapping hands. Ah, this guy, he thinks like he's, he's intelligent. Mm. But they didn't know the effect which will come after. Mm. They didn't know it's a long-term effect. Now people are suffering, but they used to call Mugabe a hero. Today is no longer a hero. Mm. So sometimes if we posting, someone posts something thinking, hey, this guy, what he's saying, we must fight back, we must fight back. This guy, what he's saying is the truth. You understand? Yeah. Not knowing sometimes you can't fight big people on their own country. No, like no, no. You, you, you spot on, and and I think you've you, you've said you, you you you've said a mouthful. I think you know even when when the things about social media, and 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 just talking to his, to his point. I mean, the same ease with which you can instigate somebody against foreign nationals, you can do that against Sutus or Zulus or. Or and you can just choose whatever group you like. And this could, you know, the, the, if we can't control this, it means that we won't be able to control uh, uh, when this presents itself in a different shape and form. Um, and 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 the reality is, the fact that you as a South African are not doing well financially, it's not the foreign nationals' fault. It's it's definitely not. And I think we kind of need to rub it in, into people and say, it's it's. It's the, 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 your poverty has a long history and your struggle and your inability to get employment has a long history which cannot be located uh, exclusively or even dominantly, even to a, 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 a percentage that you can even touch and feel to foreigners. And, 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 and I think that we, we allow the wrong messages to, to go across. But one other thing that you know, um, we we touched on Mobizita is um, uh, before the show started. We, we touched on on this issue of what's worse about us as South African, the very liberty that we now claim and and celebrate. We didn't even attain it of our of our own 
abilities. We were helped. And, and much the same way as, um, and, and, I, and I'm not even suggesting that because African or, or you know, our, 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 our neighbors in, in, in this continent helped us, that's a basis not to hurt them. We shouldn't hurt them, period, right? And we shouldn't attack them, period. But what makes us worse, what makes us terrible is that our struggle was not a South African struggle. If you listen, if you read people's speeches in those days when they spoke about a struggle, they didn't say, you know, you'd find uh, uh, Lamumba talking about a struggle and he would say, I want to free everybody. And he would mention South Africa specifically, even though mentioning South Africa would have been a detriment or risk to his own life. But he still stood up and he said it. Yeah, no, I, I think the I think there is a great need for some uh, history lessons uh, for people to appreciate that the freedoms that as um, Africans in general, not yeah. only South Africa, that Zimbabwe owes its freedom to Zambia, mm. uh, Zambia owes its freedom to the rest of the African continent, Ghana owes its freedom to other parts of the African continent, and that we must view ourselves as liberated by a collective effort. Mm. Uh, so this collective effort should should tune our mindset as to how we must live today and, and, and go forward. Previously, during the fight against apartheid and colonialism, the major fight was for political freedom. Mm. We must now get to a stage where because we collectively found our politi- uh, political freedom as Africans, it is now necessary that we must find, find our economic liberation together collectively Correct. as Africans as well because this is a continuous struggle. Uh, once we start, and I like the point you're making that the moment you locate a problem around foreign nationals, assuming you, have, you are done with foreign nationals, you're going to find Zulus, you're going to find Kosas, mm. you're going to find... So the idea of, of, of trying to locate a problem in a particular grouping of people, I think it's problematic. Yeah. But at the same time, I am not yet persuaded that South Africans are xenophobic. Mm. You know, I think President Becky at some point made a statement to the effect that we must not let the barbaric behavior of a few mm. get us to be described as a nation of barbarics. Mm. So, so to properly locate this, perhaps it, it sounds sophistry to say this is a conduct of criminal elements, but it has to be explained in a much more, I, I know, I mean, it, it has to be explained in a much more sophisticated way than to say South Africans are. Uh, 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 xenophobic. Mm. I'm not persuaded that South Africans as a whole can be... Or even as a, as a, as a majority. majority. As I mean, a significant uh, and, 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 and you're dead right. I mean, the conversations and, and, and I know um, you are probably more qualified to say this than I am because you speak as a Zimbabwean yeah. and your experiences would be as a Zimbabwean. Yeah. I, 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 as a South African, you know, the bras that I go to, nobody, you know... Um, uh, uh, this thing that what we see on television, we know and we are hurt by it because we know that it doesn't represent us, nor does it represent the majority of us. And 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 if you look at the intermarriages and children, inter inter Zimbabwean, inter South African, inter you know Nigerians are not having kids by themselves; yeah. they're having kids with South Africans. I mean, surely. Uh, you, so so we we buy at, at at each other's shops and we patronize each other's my business is supported by 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 people that are not south african and and surely your business is you know we can all have that experience so so you know 
whilst I, I should ordinarily be happy at, the, at your reflection that South Africans are not generally homophobic, I beg your pardon, xenophobic, um, it, it, it breaks my heart that, that that title has a touch to us and it's stuck. Yeah. 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 No, it, it calls for much more decisive action um, to be taken in order to both educate and, 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 and stop this, this violence violence as an instrument of expression at all indeed and maybe that's even a topic we should be having because when you think about us and how we resolve absolutely every single disagreement and every single point of discontent if we're having a strike for wage increase violence is 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 a, is a dominant characteristic and 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 that's really i know it doesn't help women that are under siege, and it doesn't help national, uh, 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 I beg your pardon, uh, foreign nationals who are under siege. But our, our real problem is just violence, and we are a violent country. And 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 when we want to resolve our issues, we resort to that. We it's very seldom that we would have a a you know w- w- whenever they say there's, I mean, Marikana, that's not w- that that was. <laughs> brutality at uh, uh, in display and televised televised brutality it wasn't targeted against any group of people but it was brutal and it, and and it was both ways it was violence both ways we're back after this kaya fm kaya fm 95.9 Welcome back, and it's 17 minutes before 9 o'clock. At 9 o'clock, uh, Sutumea will be joining us. Uh, but, uh, Ashraf, um, this is, this is the, 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 the real issue. Um, uh, Ashraf Asop is, a, is an immigration lawyer, and um, the, the, the very important issue w- with regard to this, I mean, people paint South Africa as being um, seized with a lot of um, illegal immigrants, um, but I'm not sure who determines who is illegal and at what time. Um, and, and, and one wonders whether, you know, whether we have any kind of information on, of, the far, of the foreigners that we have, how many of them are legal and how many of them are illegal. But the important thing is this, those that are here legally um, are here with our blessing um, and our permission and in terms of our laws. And, and, I, and I'm interested to know what those laws are because people are often you'll often hear people of in, on the radio saying it's so easy to get into south africa it's so easy to live and work and take jobs in south africa but maybe if you can just take us through the process that one follows if if one wants to visit south africa and the different and the different sort of classes or categories uh, under which one can visit this country sure so i think one needs to uh, start with the legislation that governs entry and exit from the republic mm. The primary legislation is the Immigration Act 2000, uh, uh, 13 of 2002. Mm. Now, this was preceded by a very old act called the Aliens uh, Control Act. But let's talk about contemporary law. Sure. So there are, um, there's the Refugees Act and there's the Immigration Act. But there are a number of treaties or special dispensations that have been extended, for example, to Zimbabweans for about 12 years now called ZSP or Z, Zimbabwe Special Permits or Zimbabwe Exemption Permits. Yeah. And this has now been extended to, uh, at least in form, to Lesotho as well. So let's deal with the Immigration Act. So the Immigration Act 
tends to regulate all people that are coming through in South Africa on the basis of some or other visa, either a visitor's visa, a study visa, a work visa, a medical treatment visa, own business visa, etc. So there's a number of criteria that you, the applicant or the employer, has to satisfy the department before a visa is extended to you. Of course, there are visa-exempt countries, usually, um, uh, you know, from Europe, um, first world countries, and uh, they can get a visa on landing. And that could be, say, between 90 days and on extension, another 90 days. Mm. Then a very popular visa is retirement person's visa. And uh, it's very simple. You have to show a monthly income of not less than 37500 Then there are what we call spousal visas. So if you're married to a South African citizen or permanent resident, you may be able to join them here on a spousal visa. And certain sections allow you to conduct work without having the Department of Labor certifying that you can do that job. So oh, On a spousal visa? That's right. It's called okay, Section so, 11. So you can work on a spousal visa? Yes. Okay. So it's called yeah. a Section 11.6. In fact, there's been an undertly judgment that's around the 22nd of June, mm. which said that a spouse uh, no longer has to leave, or a spouse or a child no longer has to leave the Republic in order to change their status uh, to conduct work or to remain with a spouse here. See, there was this judgment that said that you had to leave the Republic uh, if that was the case, and it extended to spouses and children. But that has been overturned by the Constitutional Court. So there's a visa regime in place. And that visa regime is to permanent and ultimately to citizenship. Having said that, one needs to understand that there is a change coming. Yeah, sorry, Ashraf, your line is, is deteriorating. Try try again. Ashraf? Okay, Ashraf's line has become bad. We're going to try you again, Ashraf. We, you know, we got it, we got it, we got to get this information. Mohammed from Brakpan, hello. Hello. Hi, Mohammed. How are you, man? Good, good. Can we try to get oh. Ashraf back on? Yeah, go, okay, go no, ahead, Mohammed. No, no, go ahead. Well, if you've got it. Well, okay, sorry, man. I thought maybe you got him already. No problem. <laughs> Go ahead, brother. No, um, so, you know, I want to check with something, man, as a layman in the state and uh, about this uh, foreign laws thing, how those guys, they come in. Mm. Because to me, it, it makes it very difficult. Like, I, I can't really understand how possible is that to get so much immigration which are not even accounted into our books and so on. Because that's where the problem is. What I'm getting here, because most, uh, because I feel like why they don't regulate something to say, you want to come into South Africa, you want to come and work this side, come with your family. Don't mm. leave your family behind. Because mm. I think that's where this problem will stop. And even the guys who are doing the drugs, because majority, I don't blame those who are here legally and stuff. Just some of them, they, are, they know they're here to do all these funny things. But if they can come with their family, I don't think they will do all those things because ultimately you'll be scared to do the uh, things like this in front of your kids and your wife and stuff. Yeah. See? But now a person is single in a country 
and it makes it difficult. I remember with me when I applied, I wanted to go and work in Botswana. The company told me, say, you must come with your whole family, your wife, children, everything. We'll take them to universities and stuff. We'll take them to school. We'll give you a house. Mm. That's only how you regulate. So, so you reckon that this thing of allowing once somebody is in the country, um, um, automatically one should be able to come with... With, with their spouses and I, and I think that's what Ashraf was saying if we can get yes. Ashraf back Ashraf Ashraf th- that that sort of you've cleared that up and and I'd like you to maybe just uh, t- uh, give us the other instances where somebody can come into the country okay so we got we so got the, this, the, the the visas which which okay. yeah. so the other piece of legislation is the refugees act yeah now now this is an amazing piece of legislation you know we're one of the few countries in the world that has absolutely allowed immigrant, uh, sorry, refugee and asylum seekers to ask for that regime, to, uh, to ask for that permit almost on demand. In fact, there was a judgment about a month ago uh, and it was very, very clear that there isn't a time limit for you to go and apply. Even if you were illegally in the country for a long period, you could absolutely go up to a refugee status determining officer and you can say, I'm here to apply for asylum and it's job to take you, take down your statement and make the determination. He can't at that point refuse. If he does, systems of checks and balances and safeguards, for example, you have the right of review to the Standing Committee for Refugee Affairs and failing then to the Refugee Appeals Board and failing then to a judicial review. Now, all of these things point to a very sophisticated system in place to accommodate every single person's request. However, the department's complaint is the following, that that avenue has been abused by economic migrants. Mm. So people that are here for economic reasons, but alleging that they've fled some kind of internal or external stress in their countries of origin. Now, it's very difficult given the numbers. You know, there's no numbers that can genuinely certify whether there's 2 million, 3 or 10 million uh, migrants to the Republic and whether they're broken down into visas or non-visas or asylum or undocumented migrants. If, so if, if, you, if you come in as, a, 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 under, under, a, a, as an asylum seeker, what are your rights and limitations? Are you able to seek employment? Are oh, yes, absolutely. To, yeah. Yeah. Are, are there so any there, limitations at all? There's no limitations. In mm-hmm. fact, there's now a judgment that goes even further. It says that you may even migrate from an asylum seeker's permit to a registration visa if you meet the requirements. So you can apply for a waiver. That's the AMA decision of 2018 mm. to support imperative. And he says there's no restrictions. You can actually migrate from one system to the other. So again, it points to a, a, a very detailed and sophisticated system in place. Yes. But it is overwhelmed. But I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry if I could just elicit your views uh, on this. I mean, I, I obviously haven't read the judgment, so I'm not at all suggesting an answer. I'm really just inquiring. Yeah, yeah. So I'm really just inquiring from a curious point of view as opposed to a suggestive one. It, it, it seems to me like it, the courts are, 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 are setting the law it, from what you're saying um, it, it, because it, they're not interpreting or, or you know, aligning it to the Constitution. Um, is it the courts that have now 
extended the circumstances under which one can get a refugee visa or was it sort of you know the legislation that provided it i i don't understand how that would have come about okay let let, let me try and explain as yeah. you know the constitutional court is the apex court in mm-hmm. the country its job is to look at every single legislation through the prism of the constitution mm. and indeed to interpret that in terms of the bill of rights mm. and to say that your human rights and your dignity are foremost and most of these judgments go along the same basis for example, the Dow decision of 2000 says that your dignity is, impact, is impacted if your wife or spouse is asked to leave the country to change their condition. And that was way back in 2000. So the Constitutional Court hands down judgments as it interprets any legislation through mm. the prism of the Constitution. Mm. So you can mm. see that mm. they uphold human rights and dignity to the highest level. Mm. And some of these judgments don't go down well with many, many people. So so to come back to the pieces of legislation that govern your entry and exit, we spoke of the Immigration Act, we spoke of special permits, and we're speaking of the Refugees Act. And the Refugees Act says you may work, conduct business. Now, let me, let me give you a, a, the difference between the two. If I come in on a business visa, I've got to bring in 5 million rand capital and produce jobs uh, and, and keep um, you know, the skills uh, going and also to have at least 60% of my staff being local. Without that, you don't get, you don't get an on-business visa and the DTI has to verify and certify that that business is viable mm. and, they, and they support it. Now, if you come in as a refugee, you can open a business. You don't need the capital. You're free to open a business, conduct your work, conduct the business without all in terms of the regime of the Refugees Act. Mm. So you can see that extremely generous. And comparatively speaking um, to the world, I know I know the same issues are, are happening in the U.S. where um, parents of kids born in America are, are, are being uh, deported. Uh, or and and that's sort of the 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 issue there. And then you'd find that the American-born child, um, you know, is then separated from their mother. Internationally speaking, are we are we uh, where are we? Uh, are we kind of uh, in line with the, the the norm, or have we even gone better? I think we've gone better mm. in terms of pure legislation. I'm not talking about the practical effects of how it's carried out and all that. Mm. In terms of pure legislation, South Africa is one of the few countries that do not encamp refugee and asylum. Yes, yeah, we don't have refugee camps. But but it's coming, you know, there, there are changes coming. Now... Are we going to have refugee camps? Well, that's what the white paper says. Okay. I mean, it's talking about uh, large camps uh, at the border areas. But I mean, is that not, 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 management. is that not even worse, Ashraf? Uh, because once you have a refugee camp, then, you know, if you listen to the numbers of how much it costs us to feed people in prison. Um, well, if, I, I, yeah. it's a very, very practical question. If not a constitutionally viable question, I, mm. I don't think it'll survive constitutional challenge, mm. not, not in terms of how the constitution is worded at present. Mm. As I said, everything is determined within the prism of the constitution, human rights and dignity. Mm. And I'm sure that that piece of legislation will be interpreted correctly. But to come back to your question, mm. so an asylum seeker who is not yet recognized as a refugee 
is entitled to move and live in the country and indeed marry and conduct business, work and study. Mm. So he's got an immense amount of rights available to him. So, so the, the, then from what you're saying, um, there is no need for me to worry about a passport then. Um, and, and if you take the call from Zakaria earlier on, who was saying that in Zimbabwe you can't even get a passport at the moment. And and um, I understand that, in fact, even when you can get it, you'd get it something like under after three years. And even then it costs you one thousand dollars just to get a, a passport in Zim. Uh, are you telling me that that one can simply just forget that entire um, uh, sort of avenue and 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 present oneself as a as a refugee? Well, hence I say that mm. it's open to abuse because mm. a refugee has to really flee internal strife and conflict or some kind of personal harm directed against him. But I mean, if, 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 so it can, can one still, do we still, um, and, and are we in a position where you can say, well, I'm a refugee and they say, no, you're not. Um, and I just want to understand because I think how I understood it earlier is, you know, you just present yourself and you say, here's my statement, I'm, I'm yes, running away. Yes, yeah. that, that, that is the correct position. Now, yeah. whether ultimately it will be adjudicated in your favor or not is a, is a different question. Right. But you certainly have all the avenues open of reviews, internal appeals, exhausting internal remedies, mm. including a judicial review. Nothing takes that right away from you. Mm. Whether you ultimately succeed is a different question because mm. it, it goes to the bona fide of your application. And like the Home Affairs has said, over 90% of these applications are not bona fide refugees, not fleeing a war situation. Mm. In fact, indeed, there, there's been a case for six Somalis um, whose applications were ultimately rejected. And, and in, a, in a judicial review, the judge said, but you have to prove what personal harm will visit you if mm. you go back. You can't just say that uh, Somalia is a war zone and I can't go back. You have to you have to be specific, so you can see there's been a tightening up of the legislation and interpretation in terms of the present act. Mm. Wow, so much to talk about. I I actually underestimated the extent of of you know of of these laws and what one can talk about. So you know, I would I would like um, to have you again soon and 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 expound on this discussion. It's very interesting. Thank you uh, so much, uh, Ashraf Esop. Um, yeah, and, and I guess uh, thank you to you, my brother. Don't be scarce. Always a pleasure. Yeah? Yeah. Don't be scarce. Yeah, no. See you again soon. Yeah. All right. That's the law report for me, Michael Motsoning Bill. Uh, next Wednesday, it says Sutumea. She's up next.